Well, it is really good to see all y'all. If you're a guest, my name's David, and I am the senior pastor of First Baptist Church. We're glad you're here. This is a different service today, and uh, it's going to seem kind of abnormal. Well, all of our services are a little bit abnormal, but you come back next week, we'll be more normal. Some of you may have got here a little bit early, and you saw an ambulance out there. We had a little medical scare in the first service, but it's all good right now. And um, if you're a regular attender, there's not going to be any notes or anything up on the screen today. It's just want you to listen. Don't worry about taking notes. You know, you can get it all. A year ago, February of 2022, uh, Debbie was uh, diagnosed with cancer. And our journey that we had taken together for so many years took a little bit of a twist and turn. And it began to be something different. And then on October 20th, at 2.52 in the morning, at East Providence Hospital in El Paso, Texas, Debbie's part of the journey ended. And she went to be with Jesus. But my journey, it stayed. I am a very, very private person who has to live in a very, very public way. And so I just figured it was best at some point to talk to you about this past year and talk to you about my journey. John wrote a gospel about the story of Jesus. Phenomenal book. That's all the gospels are. And he wrote about Jesus shortly before Jesus was going to be crucified. And in John 14 and 15 and 16, we see Jesus just talking to these 11 guys whose disciples are. Judas has gone to betray. Man, he's gone. It's just hours before he's going to go to the cross. And when it happens, he knows these 11 guys' world is going to change. Not just because he's going to die, because he's going to be raised back to life. And more than that, because soon he's going to leave, man. And he's going to take these 11 guys and he's going to say to them, you're going to change the world, and your world's going to be changed, and your journey is going to be like nothing you've ever experienced. And through all the highs and the lows, it's going to be there. And, and, and 10 of those guys are going to die for Jesus, and the one who didn't, John, he's going to suffer an awful lot. So he said this to them, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe in me. The heart is the place, not of emotion, but who you really are. And he knew their hearts would be troubled. He knew their lives would be disturbed, as all of ours are. So he said, guys, guys, listen to me. Here's what you need to do. In all the highs and lows of life, just trust me. Trust me every step of the way. You know, when Debbie was diagnosed with cancer, we really had optimism and the belief that she was going to beat it. And, and, and we should have. I mean, she did that first time. She had that surgery. It was successful. We were thrilled. We praised God. Most of you didn't even know that she had had cancer surgery. But then in her April checkup, found the cancer had come back in a different way. And this was going to be a little bit tougher, but there was optimism and belief that she would beat that too. We had every reason to think so. And she was beating it. I remember though, she's saying, no, David, you know, I, I trust Jesus. I know he can heal me. I believe he will heal me, but if he doesn't, I do want everybody always to know that I trusted him. I want people to know that I trusted him with my whole life to the very end. She was doing pretty good against that cancer. And then in July, about halfway through her treatments, we, she had an appointment and she had some tests, and then the late July word came that it was bad. Really, really bad. And I think we knew then she didn't really have that long. I thought we'd have longer than she did. I thought she'd still be around today. 
But we knew. I mean, we, it was just new. And then as she began that new, whole new treatment, and it was so vicious, she suffered so much. Then a few months later, we're in that hospital, and she's, she's just laying there, and I'm with her, and you know, it was that Thursday morning, and, and we're fortunate. She took a really bad turn. Her mother got gotten here. Her brother and sister got here. Kelly, our daughter, flew in with her now, now husband, and my uh, one of my sisters made it, and they were gone. It was just me there with Tanya. You know, Tanya, who we love, is there with us, and she just started her last few breaths, and she was at such peace. And I remember when she took that last breath. I was so thankful. I praise God. I thank Jesus for the life we had. And I was so thankful she went to be with him. You know, I don't, I don't think most people understand, you know, of death very well. I, I didn't, so many people come up to me and act as if I'm this crushed, devastated guy. You know, I miss my wife. I miss her every day. I look at her picture all the time. I miss hearing her talk. I miss hearing her sing like you would never believe. But I was always at peace. Always. I think part of it is just because I, Debbie and I understood what life was about. When you love someone, you spend so much time, all I ever wanted was what was best for her. I just wanted the best for her. And going to be with Jesus is the best for her. Well, I was okay with that. You know, I look at our life that we lived and, 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 you know, Debbie and I got married so young, and we didn't do any marriage counseling. We didn't, I've never read a book on marriage. I, people say, what's your favorite book on marriage? Like, I don't read that stuff. Here's what Debbie and I did. We trusted Jesus, got married, and we just made it up as we went along. Can I give you some advice? That's really a cool way to do it. Oh, I mean, you know, we followed the Bible. Now, we didn't follow the New Testament stuff, like, Ephesians, you know, about the submission. <laughs> Guys, I never once suggested to my wife she should submit to me. <laughs> so I was married 40 years. We went to Genesis. And in Genesis it says, God didn't want Adam to be alone. And he made someone suitable to help him through life. That's what Debbie and I did. We just helped each other through life. Adam said, your bone are my bones, your flesh are my flesh, my strength are my strength, my weakness are my weakness. And that's what we were, and we were just one flesh. And I think back on that life that we had, and I just think about three things really just hit me in the last few months. It just really has about our marriage. One is from the moment I fell in love with that girl, all I ever wanted was to be with her. That's all I ever wanted. When we were apart, I hated that. I remember when we were uh, in, in uh, Laredo, and uh, this is all before cell phones, and Kelly was little, and they would go home to San Antonio, and I'm like, yes, I get to be a bachelor. I get to eat what I want to eat. About that second day, she called. she said, say, how's it going? I'm like, when are y'all coming home again? She always stayed away just long enough to make me want her to come home. Every moment in our life when I was away from her, I just wanted to be with her. Every decision I ever made in my life, she was at the center of it. All I wanted to do was make sure the decision was good for her. I didn't care. It was good for her. And when I thought about our future, I didn't think about necessarily where we would be. It's just that we would be there. She was always my future. Everywhere I looked, 
Some of you are single. Maybe you think about getting married. Maybe you want to get married. You, sometimes people say, do you have any, do you do any counseling? I don't like to beforehand. Joe loves it. I don't really like doing it. I will if you think it's necessary. But if you just listen to these three things, ask the person you want to marry these three questions. It's like I do. Simple. Assuming you're a follower of Christ now. When we're apart, do you think about me all the time? When you make decisions right now, do you make those decisions thinking about what is best for me and not for you? And when you think about the future, whatever it may be, am I there? And if the answer to all three of those questions aren't yes, turn and run away. Otherwise, one day you'll be in my office asking me to help you. But Debbie did so much. She took all the weaknesses, and I have so many. And she just made them better. She could help me understand people. She could translate the world around me so I'd understand it. I mean, I can always make decisions, the hard, harsh, tough decisions, but I didn't always understand how it impacted people. And she could always just help me see what it did to others. And she made me softer and kinder and gentler. And I don't have that anymore. That kind of worries me. I just hope she finished the job she started. You know, when Debbie died, I never thought a piece of me died with her. I never thought that way. But what I come to realize is what died with her was my future. Because all my future involved her. It's not just specific plans. It's just her and I together. Forever. It was always David and Debbie. I mean, from the time we were 16, everybody knew it was David and Debbie or Debbie and David or however they worded it. When I started in 1980 at Northside, uh, my sophomore year in college, we, we took a break. Before Ross and Rachel took a break, David and Debbie took a break. I realized she didn't want to take the break. It was just me. And I realized the whole time that we took the break, <laughs> she was always working to make sure I come back. Oh, I went out with a few other girls. It was never quite the same. I saw her go out with some other guys, and I know it was odd because I never realized, I didn't realize this until a few weeks ago, she went out with people we already knew. She didn't have interest in them. She was just making me jealous, <laughs> reminding me that she could get whatever guy she wanted. I remember when we decided, let's just see if it's going to work. We'll take, we'd always said, we'll have one more date to see what happens. We took that date. I told the story at the funeral, but I didn't tell you all of it. So I went to pick her up. She wore the tightest jeans I've ever seen in my life, man. <laughs> I still think about it to this moment. There's no way there could have ever been a wrinkle on her. The sweater she wore, that white sweater, was even tighter. And my wife, well, she had a lot of assets. She wore those open-toed shoes that few inches taller. That hair just hung straight to her shoulders, and she had the reddest lipstick you could imagine. And at some point, we were in my car, and I looked at her, and I thought to myself, dude, you're done. You're coming crawling back. What I never told you is that I would ask her over the years that we were married, did she do that on purpose? And she always would just look at me and smile, shrug her shoulders, and she could walk away. 
And no one could walk away like my wife could walk away. Debbie and I decided early in our life that she and I were going to live our own life. And we're going to live our life. We didn't ask anyone's permission to get married. I didn't care what her parents or my parents thought. Who gave a rip? It was our life. We were going to follow Jesus, but it was us. And we lived our life. And one of the things we decided to do was live for the moments. Early on, I just told her, baby, I can, I can preach for the rest of my life. If I get decent at it, there will always be some church dumb enough to hire. <laughs> I don't care about money. I know we're supposed to save. I don't care about retiring. We're 20-something. I don't care about 65. It's two lifetimes away. And she said, well, let's just enjoy every day of our life. And we did. We lived for those moments. I remember in Edinburgh where I was a youth minister. She wanted to live in a house. She couldn't afford a house. We are going to buy one. There's a brand-new house built. They were leasing it, and I couldn't afford it. So I just said, who cares about retirement? I don't need to save for a house for 20 years. So now there's a house right there. And so we rented it. We went in it. We were broke and poor. Debbie only ever wanted to be a homemaker, and that house just felt so white. And I can still remember how happy she was in that house. She wanted to be a mama, and we couldn't have kids. So we decided to adopt. It cost so much money to adopt. It broke me. At least twice in my life, maybe three times, I had to wipe out my retirement fund. So I got to the point where I said, who cares? I'll just work forever. Because we wanted the moments. And so we adopted Kelly. And I remember when she held Kelly in her arms. Like it was yesterday. And it took everything we had to make it happen. In February, excuse me, in um, November of 1988, the day George Bush was elected president, tragedy struck our family, Debbie and Kelly and I. Through no fault of our own, there was nothing we could do about it. For the next three years, exactly, our life was hell. I mean, it was hell. We trusted Jesus. He was there every step of the way. We know, and people loved us, and they were there with us. But it was a living nightmare. And then it was over, three years almost to the day. And we were so broke and so poor. And I said, we need to take a vacation. She said, we don't have any money. I said, who cares? We got credit cards. And all you Dave Ramsey people are probably choking on your envelopes right now. <laughs> I don't care. So we decided in May, in the week of Mother's Day of May in 1992, we're going to Disney World. We thought it would be the only time we ever went. A once-in-a-lifetime trip. 25 trips later, a once-in-a-lifetime trip. And some friends of ours who went to stay at the Polynesian. It is, it is unbelievable. And it was so expensive. And I wiped those credit cards out to go. Sorry. And we got there, two-day drive. And we got there, and Kelly was so tired. I got the cheapest room at the expensive hotel, resort, I'm sorry. And they looked at and saw how Kelly was at the front desk and said, hey, we're going to take care of you. And they put us in this really nice room on the ground floor. It was this lush garden out front. I could see the Grand Floridian Resort. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I could look, and there was the beach, and there was the castle. And on the ground was a rabbit. Kelly saw the rabbit. Before there were cell phones to take pictures, you would go buy disposable cameras. We had three of them. And she took 
half a roll of one of those disposable cameras, taking pictures of Kelly and the rabbit. And I thought, great. I spent all this money for a dadgum rabbit. <laughs> 30 years later, almost to the day, 2022 May, the week of Mother's Day, we're at the Polynesian. Now, we're not staying there. We're actually staying at Wilderness Lodge. Kelly's with us again. And only I don't like rooming with anybody but Debbie, so I had to buy two rooms that day. And Kelly ended that week, I should say. And Kelly bought a friend with her, so I got all these people I paid for. Cost me another small fortune. But we're eating at the Polynesian because Debbie wanted to, and it was dark. And, and the fireworks were about to be lit up at Magic Kingdom, and she was so tired. But she looked at me and said, I want to walk to the beach and watch the fireworks. I said, okay, we'll go. Can you make it? She said, yeah, I'll make it. And we walked out there. And as we walked, we looked over to the side, and there were the longhouses we stayed at the very first time. And I looked at her, and she said, remember staying there? And she smiled and looked at me, and she said, you mean the rabbit? <laughs> I said, yeah, the rabbit. Moments, 30 years apart. Right there. Moments of what matter. September, she was laying in bed. She was so sick. I went and I laid there with her. And I talked to her. I said, baby, we just talked about our life. I love the life we led. She goes, I know. I said, I'm so glad we made all the decisions we made. I'm glad we lived it our way. I regret nothing. She goes, me neither. I'm so glad. I said, baby. If I have to work the rest of my life, if I work till I'm in my mid-80s every day just to make ends meet so I can live, I want you to know it was worth it. She smiled at me and said, yes. Yes, it was. You see, some of you, you're so busy worried about the future, you forget the present. And some of you, especially young people, and I, and I know you're supposed to save, and I know there's retirement, and I get all that mumbo-jumbo. I know it, I know it, and I know you go to Proverbs and the work ethic, and I, and I get all that, but just listen to me. Some of you are sacrificing the moments of today for tomorrow you may not have. And if I'd have done what you did, I'd have no memories I'd have no moments, and I would have no Debbie. Why is it so important? Because it's always the men that do this. It's okay if you punch your husband in the ribs. And guys, it's okay at some point you look down at your feet in shame. And when you get in the car and you go to lunch, you go home or wherever you go. Why is it okay to say we're not going to sacrifice any more moments? Do you understand that? We're going to live for today. Trust me, it's worth it. And trust Jesus that he can take care of you all along the way. Debbie, like me, had surrendered to ministry. She didn't really know what it was, but then she realized it was to be a pastor's wife, but not just any pastor's wife. This pastor's wife. That was her calling. And from 
the very beginning, I just told her, baby, I will never go anywhere you don't want to go. I will never take you to a church you don't want to go to. All you have to do is tell me, no, and I promise you I will not go there. And she looked at me and she said, God called me to go with you. And I trust you that if God is calling you to a church, you will never take me somewhere that I don't need to be. So I will go where you go. And I will follow you all of my life. Which brings me to March 2015 at the Hilton Garden Inn in Las Cruces, New Mexico, in a hotel room where we sat and talked about the future. We were really excited about coming here. And we came in that marsh to kind of check everything out and meet people. And what I'm about to say, I want you to understand, the staff I have here now that came, that have stayed all this time are fantastic. None of this is on there. Mike, Mike and, and Linda, what a phenomenal job they've done. James back there, Mel, Krista, Cindy, this is nothing on them. But this church was in bad shape. I didn't realize how bad it was. Now, you wanted me to relocate you from Miranda to here. That's why I was going to come. And that sounds easy, but it's not. But I'm looking like, what good is it going to do? Y'all are stuck in the 80s. Your, your decision-making process was hard. Later on, I looked at some of the leadership you had. I'm like, my gosh, you decided to put these people in these places. And I looked at things, and I'm like, there's no way. And Debbie looked at me at that hotel room, and she said, you're going to tell them no, aren't you? You're not going to come here, are you? I said, how can I? I can't do this. I don't know who can do this. I can't. I said, I'm 54 years old. I don't want to live the back end of my ministry as a failure. And she said, I'll go wherever you go, David. But you can't do this. God has given you everything you need to do this. And if any one person can, it's you. So here I am. I know you want to think it was some spiritual thing of the Holy Spirit coming down and like Acts chapter 2 and there were tongues and fire and all that. Nah. There was a woman who said you can do it. And she's the reason I'm sitting here with you today. Only she ain't here with me today. And that's the hard part. I came here to relocate you. Now, relocation involves more than just where we are now, changing addresses. This is only part way. We're not finished. We've got a phase two to go. If this is all we have, this building, this, this phase, then eventually you will shrink down. We've got to build phase two. I know that's my responsibility. But I also came to change your culture. It doesn't do any good to build buildings if the culture changed the same. That's what we've come to do. So here's the thing. She was always there with me. This is my fifth building program. They're hard. You have no idea. For a pastor to do a building program in church, unless, unless you've done it as a pastor, I'm not even going to try. It's just different. The burden is different. The future you look at for Christ and his kingdom is different. And I've always was excited about doing it. And I was so excited about phase two until October 20th. And then I didn't care. Because when I looked at my future, this was all I saw. And I thought, God, this isn't a future. Just to build a building. And it wasn't over mourning Debbie because she's with Christ. But it was, 
it was realizing I had nothing. I didn't have her. I didn't want to do what it required to do without her. I knew what it was going to take, and I didn't want to pay that price without her to get me through it. And he said, God, I don't want to do it. And on top of that, there was this other issue that I was dealing with. See, you know, I'm always the pastor to you, and that's how most of you will only ever know me ever, and that's fine. That's what I am, but I am David. I have a David side of me. Very few people ever see it. Once in a while, it comes out in a sermon. But Debbie saw it. In front of Debbie, I got to be David. Had no one to be David with. And on top of that, I felt this burden. Because you see, whether this is fair or not, I don't know if this is fair. And this may sound harsh. And some of you understand what I say because you went through it. But not too long ago, there was a church where the pastor's wife died. And I saw what happened to that church. And I said, no way, God. That can't happen here. And I felt this pressure and this burden to not let it happen. And I stopped being me. And that's all I was, was the pastor of this church. We had to build a building and keep it together. And so it just so happened I had a vacation plan. And on February 3rd, I took a plane, man. And metaphorically, I got as far away from you as I could. I called Joe from the airport to fix the problem. And then I didn't think about you. I didn't worry about you. I didn't pray for you. It was me. My heart was troubled. And here's the thing. I'm like, Jesus, I trust you. You know I trust you. Why is my heart so troubled? And I worked and I agonized for days in nothing. And it's Thursday, February 9th. It's about 2 in the afternoon where I was, and I'm fixing tomorrow to hop a plane and come back here. Ain't nothing been resolved, and I ain't in a good place. And I'm up by the water. I see some boats. People walk by, and I just say, why won't you fix this? Why won't you fix this? Because you know I trust you. And then Jesus does what he always does with my life. This is not the first time that my heart's been troubled. It's never been about trusting Jesus. It's just been about his timing. And Jesus does this in my life. He always waits till the last minute. I just like, one time, Jesus, could you not wait till the last minute? And he just made it clear, why is your heart troubled? If you trust me, why is your heart troubled? You know it's going to be okay. You know what you got to do. And you know I'll be there with you. And I had peace and clarity for the first time in a long time. So I'm here to tell you, I'm excited, and I'm going to finish phase two. I'll keep my promise to God and my promise to you. We're going to get that building done, and I'm going to be the best I can be. I'm going to give you the best leadership I know how. I will make all the tough decisions that I have to make, and I will make them. And I know people won't always like them, and some people will leave, and it will always like the way it was before. I'll say goodbye. It's okay. We won't miss you. Because I'm going to do what God has called us to do. And I'm going to preach to you the best sermons I ever have. Someone always asks me, what's your best sermon? It's the one I preach next week. Because I've always believed that the best sermon in me is the one tomorrow. And so you're going to get my A-plus sermons. And I'm going to be everything that I need to be. And when that building's finished. And Billy Goff shakes my hand and I pat Billy on the shoulder and he looks at me and says, come see me in Dallas. And I said, Billy, I'll see you on this side. When that day comes, then I need to understand in real life, I have finished my commitment to you.
I have done what I promised you what I would do, and that is over. And my future is mine. And I'm going to take it. And if God leaves me here, he leaves me here, and that's fantastic. And if God sends me home to South Texas, man, I'll go home to South Texas. And if he leads me anywhere in between, I will do what I have always done. I will pack my bags, and I will go. In the meantime, I'm still going to be me. I've got to be me again. So here's the thing you need to realize. I'm going to honor God in everything I do, and I'm going to follow Jesus, and I'm not going to do anything that is, you know, immoral and ethical, whatever. But I'm going to live my life like I've always lived it. It's not your life. And you don't get a say in it. And I'm not going to worry about you when I live my life. And I'm going to go where I want to go. And I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'm going to be with whoever I want to be with. Because it's my life. And I get to do that. And so this is the journey that I've been on. And the journey that I've taken. And I don't know how much longer I have. Maybe I just have 20 days. Maybe I have 20 months. Maybe I have 20 years. But Debbie told me, live your life, David, like we've always lived our lives. And I'm going to live it. She's with Christ in eternity, and one day I'll be there. But it's not today. And today is all I have promise. I'm going to live today. There are families that I love and care for, and I want to be there to give them my wisdom and my knowledge and see their children. I want to do that. I got my family that I probably need to spend more time with. Eh. <laughs> I got friends to go all the way back to when we were kids, and those bonds never break. They don't know me as a pastor. They just know me as David. And I need to be a part of their life. Some, some of them need Jesus, and I want to be there with them. Some of them's going through the same thing that I've gone through, and they need David, their friend. And I'll be there. And who knows? Maybe there's somewhere out there, there's someone taking her journey. And her journey is by herself. Maybe one day her journey and my journey will become one journey. If that happens, it's okay. And if it never happens, it's still okay. Because this is what I've learned on my journey this past year. Man, you just got to trust Jesus. It's what I've always known. It's nothing new. Trust Jesus. David, quit letting your heart be choked. And if I would share one thing with you about life in the journey, when all is said and done, all that ever matters is that you just trust Jesus. And when your heart is troubled, just keep trusting. And it may take a while, but you'll get there. Let not your heart be choked. Believe in God. Believe also in me.